Welcome to the Searching for SaaS podcast, where you'll join Nate and Josh, two founders on very different stages of their businesses. Nate is earlier on his journey and is looking for something to stick, while Josh is in the company building phase. Together, they will geek out on software as a service and share their stories. Let's dive into today's episode. Hi, everyone. It's Nate here. Just a quick reminder that the Searching for SaaS survey is still open. If you haven't had a chance, please visit searchingforsas.com slash feedback. Every submission means a lot to us. Thanks. Hey, Josh. Hey, Nate. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Having a, having a good week so far. Summer's officially kicked off. School is out for the kids, for us here. Uh, nice. Yeah, and the weather's warming up. Time for more outdoor activities. Yep. There's definitely been a lot of pool. I don't know if I've told you I'm on the pool board and that's just a whole stressful mess of obligation. <laughs> but I was actually on it last year with when the coronavirus and the pandemic stuff hit. It was a lot of a lot of meetings. Like like we oh, need yeah. more meetings. Like, yeah. It's, it's like every every community association ever, right? Yeah. Bad year to be my first year on a pool board. It was it was bad. I'm kinda of burnt out already on it, but <laughs> we'll make do. Sounds good. I saw on Twitter today you were talking about uh, setting up for Q3, and that's yep. objectives and key results for people who aren't familiar with that. Yeah, yeah, we've been doing that for I don't know, probably at least two years or so, maybe a little longer, but found it to be pretty effective, especially once you have multiple teams on your in yeah. your in your company. Yeah, so you're getting the jump on it for for the next quarter and ready to go. Yeah, end of quarter times for us get a little stressful just because of that, like because normally we're doing end of month types of wrap ups and things like that, retros, each team has retros, stuff like that, but the OKR ones get set every quarter and then they're reviewed, so there's just a log jam of a bunch of stuff that goes on on the Oh yeah. the quarter crossover change. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Actually, I think our topic today kind of relates a bit to OKRs and stuff like that. We were t- hoping to talk today about hiring, and I feel like that's something that you've got a bunch of experience with, so I'm hoping that you can share your knowledge with, with the rest of us. Sure. Always, yeah, always happy to talk about hiring, a big piece of the kind of company company building phase of a business. Yeah, so is that something you've done in the last little while, or like uh, how long ago was your last hire? I'd say our last hire think we actually haven't hired anyone new for probably the past two three months or so so the last cycle of starting a hiring process was probably about like four four months ago or so nice so this is pretty fresh for you then it's not uh too far back if anything it's been a break like we were probably on a clip for the past few years where there was always a hiring cycle going on in different teams like it wasn't just all like like, you know, you'll hear VC backed or other ones like, yeah, we need to hire, we need to double headcount this year. Or we need <laughs> more SDRs or, hey, we're really ramping up a new, you know, product team and need more developers, things like that. So, so for yeah, us yeah. having a steady clip of usually like always one or two going on, you know, is, was pretty normal for the past few years. So, so are you kind of in the camp then of, you know, we're always hiring if the right person comes along type of thing? Or is this more like you're you're consistently needing more people and you just keep looking for those people? I'd say it's gone through different phases. I 
am definitely of the notion that I am kind of always looking for the right people. We do leave certain wrecks open all the time for roles that you kind of almost always need to sort of fill the queue, so to speak, like frontline types of roles, like customer success or sales. Those are ones that we'll keep open. So we'll get applicants and we're not necessarily always actively interviewing, but I'll kind of leave those, those roles open per se. Right. At least, at least have your net kind of spread. So that way if something good falls in, you're, you're good to go. Yeah. I'd say we, we operate in different phases. One, just kind of that, that, that open net mentality. And then, then there's like active searching and then there's there's like hunting where you're actually really need to fill a role because your team is stressed and you need you need to backfill uh, because someone left or things like that and and those are when we probably start going to a different type of hiring motion yes that's that's kind of that'll be interesting because i was going to ask you next next about your process like how do you kind of how do you kind of work through that at a high level? And I guess maybe with the urgent ones, let, let's talk about that first, maybe. Sure. Actually, it might, it might be easier to go from the lower one because I think it builds on itself kind of like a like a, sure. like a set of blocks. So in that earlier phase of just having out, so obviously having a job wreck out there, which I, I do and, feel and like... What's a, what's, a, what's a wreck? <laughs> okay, like a job, I, get, I don't know. Actually, what is that? I don't even know what the acronym, or and it's not an acronym. It's a shorthand. Is it not requ- Is it a requirement or a request? I don't. I don't actually know. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> know. I've heard of job postings. Like maybe that's what you mean. Okay, hmm. I, I'd have to actually. It might be a bigger company term that I don't. Not mm-hmm. even that just has transpired. Like, you put a request to get a hire. Like maybe that's it. Where it needs to be internally approved for a big company. Like here's a job rec or like a. Oh, I see. So like I, I have a hole over here. And so I need a person who's able to do like, if it's customer support, I need a person who's able to talk on the phone. I need a person who's able to like that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, so it might be, it might stand for a request because <laughs> if a hiring manager wants like budget approval, it's like, I don't know. I'm just so ingrained with that term, like a job rec from an internal okay. standpoint. So. Okay. So it starts with a rec. Then yeah. what? I think it also does include, that always does include, you know, a job description, roles and responsibility, essentially like requirements, what you're looking for. So I think that oftentimes starts internally, but it's also an externally facing document that would be in a job posting, right? And then. Gotcha. So, so having that first, and then whether it's actively being posted somewhere, like you're, if you're. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's two sides, kind of like sales. There's the inbound side, which is like you post these jobs so that people apply, right? So in job boards, things like that. Yep. And then on the flip side, if you're more actively hunting, then it becomes more of like you're doing outreach, sort of like outbound. So whether you're, you might have a posting, but then you're also searching through resume banks and reaching out to people. Yeah, yeah using your network a bit too, maybe for that. Yeah. I think net, your network, possibly using a recruiter, which we've never done. Maybe I'm too okay. cheap cheap to think about that. <laughs> that way, so. Yeah. Okay. So you've got a rec and then you've got your posting. And then mm-hmm. what, what kind of happens? After? So the, once the posting, so if, I, so if I group it into those three phases, like having it out there. So we might have postings that are just out there, like I said, for sales and support are kind of always just hanging around. And then 
if we are in the more active mode of searching, we have some more paid posting. So that's where we'll pay to have it on like a remote job board, for instance, is somewhere where we'll actively look. I've kind of gotten to know the pockets of where to post what types of jobs for us. Mm. You know, like a developer job, you might post somewhere else. Right, yeah, like there's like if you're going to look for a support person, you might not post that on Stack Overflow. You might right. put that on some other job board. Right, correct, yep. Yeah. Uh, and so then this the, is the, like, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, so this is like a resume gathering exercise. Is that kind of the idea here? Or what are you getting out of this this part? So what we do is we don't, what we do is, oh, sorry, to al- alongside with our job posting, we create a, a form for people to fill out. So which includes, you know, uploading your resume, it has a couple questions. So it's essentially just like a like a screening kind of form, we do take a lot of time with those, we leave some open ended questions, we get the idea of how, you know, so we can at a at a, at a deeper glance, understand the candidates that are actually actively applying. So we have that posting that might go in different places. And then we are sending anyone that responds to that posting to this, I guess it's more like a job application, but it's a form online that we'll do. And that's where our hiring managers will look at those. Gotcha. So you're getting that extra information so you can kind of help screen when you, as opposed to just, you know, looking at their resume and taking that at face value. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's where like those three phases of putting it out there, actively searching, and then like, what I called like hunting and the hunting is where you go, where you're seeding through the people's resumes or you're reaching out. We've used uh, indeed before had, had a be- yeah. not like a pretty good database and you could search for and definitely some nice little things, knowing how active people are on the platform. So you're not reaching out to someone that isn't actually like looking for a job, um, mm-hmm. things like that. So that gets into the active hunting, like, Hey, we need to fill this role quickly type of phase. Yeah. Yeah. So you get all these people then, I guess they've all submitted your, your form, like your internal form. What kind of happens after? So that's where we are screening those internally. So that would be a hiring manager would be able to look through those. I'm often taking a part of it, but I would say I'm have, have included myself in different phases. Sometimes for some hiring managers, they don't necessarily enjoy like looking through all the applicants. Okay. Do you have a, do you have a hiring manager or do you do all that? Oh, I mean that the hiring manager. I, what I mean is the the person that the t- person, <laughs> the person, the new person is going to report to. So, oh, okay. No, but we don't have an official like HR department or anyone that uh, does like handles all the recruiting per se. We have some people that are better at it than other like managers in the company, and sometimes they will help out other ones because actually we do have someone on our team that's really good that used to do used to work in recruiting and things like that. So she kind of just can lock in any time and, and, and has, a good, has a good lens for it. Yeah. So with that screening process, is there anything particular that you're looking for that, like, that makes someone kind of jump out to you? That Sure. I, I, and that's where probably the form comes in. So each one of those applications have a very specific set of questions that are role-based. So, that, so we're, that, that's where... Yeah, de- development of that application form, what people will fill out. Um, basically, we're reading that before we're reading any resume. So, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there's some basic questions in there. We even oftentimes include like 
the salary, general salary range they're looking at. Just we're very budget conscious being self-funded. So if someone comes in and is looking for an exorbitant salary that is outside our range or it gives us an idea of the expectations, we know that that might be a non-starter for us. Right. So we'll look at that. We'll leave definitely some open-ended questions. So like ones, for example, for a developer, you know, or we'll, we might ask about an experience with, you know, web applications or things like that, or write about a project that you've worked on recently, you know, that's a web, you know, describe a web application project. So that actually seeds out a lot, right? Like yeah, you get, instead yeah. of getting a backend develop or you get, instead of getting a backend person or a person, you know, we specifically will say an ASP.NET thing. So then we get a person that responds with Java stuff or realizes we're looking for that. And they actually might not even complete the form, which is good. Right. It, fil it filters out on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. That's really cool. So you're filtering out all the people based on like traits, like, like what they're looking for. And then also like, what's your, what's your take on, you know, my open-ended question. Right. And I'll, there'll be a project-based question. There'll be, I could probably find some other better samples. And there's some things like that are a little more, what's the word, uh, more qualitative, so to speak. So there might be things like, you know, like what, what, it, you know, describe a project that you really enjoyed or something like that, or, you know, tell us about a manager that you, you know, we try not to get too in-depth, but we try to make sure that there's only a couple open-ended questions. So it's not this super long form that you're going to scare people off from. And we try to use drop downs and check boxes as much as possible for certain things. So like a customer success role for us, since we do a lot of integrations with marketing and sales software, we'll be like, check the ones you have experience with. Salesforce, yeah. Marketo, HubSpot, whatever. So that, again, gives us the idea of if they know what they're doing or mm -hmm. and they fit even the job description that we put out there because you'd probably be surprised how many people apply to jobs that they're really not necessarily a fit for anyway. Yeah, and I guess this kind of brings up an interesting thing is like how much do you hire for their personality traits and their ability to learn versus the skills that they already have? Because at this stage, you know, if you filter out everybody who hasn't had experience with Marketo, you know, maybe you're throwing out people who actually would be really good. How do you, how do you kind of balance that out? I think that also goes into the thought process of how we're building that form. So if, if for example, if they checked something else like Active Campaign or some other similar type of software or Eloqua or something else, like I'll be like, okay, they understand MarTech or they understand CRM types of things. And different job right. roles may, like if it's a more, if we're looking for a person to round out the team that is going to be more technical, then mm -hmm. we'll on the on like the customer success or customer support team, that definitely becomes a requirement. So we're not there. Our more junior roles, we might look for more of potential, and there could be like a baseline. So if they didn't check those off, but it's it's mm -hmm. it becomes like a nice to have if they have that technical experience, but. If we are know we're hiring for a more junior role, we will definitely look between the lines on more of could there just be more potential? What what have they learned? That type of thing. But for the large part, we don't really hire people without any experience, mostly because it's really hard, especially as a remote company, to all of a sudden like, hey, your job is behind the computer, where you're not going to get the benefit of like being in a work environment. So, right, you don't have people close by. 
So you kind of have this screening layer, and then what happens next? Uh, after the screening layer, so we'll go through those, and then we will reach out to applicants that you know, look interesting enough to have a call with. So then we'll set up a screening call, and we'll require that it's on Zoom. We'll require that it's with video, because again, since we've been remote and doing remote for a very long time, even pre-pandemic, want to make sure people are comfortable you know, doing video, yep. things yep. like that. So we'll, and we'll have a 15 minute screening call. So we'll have, that'll usually be done by the hiring manager. So they might have their own sets of questions again, to just add another filter layer of let's get it like, comfortable with this person. Let's ask them about their past experience. Let's ask them about describing their jobs. So you do get a little bit more, um, detail and resolution than other things that you're not getting from the form and just the resume. Right. So you're kind of using this as a way to fill out your view of this person, like kind of fill in the blanks that the resume leaves or that the, the questions that you asked before were, were kind of leaving for you. Right. And, and I would say we, we don't, you know, for trying to think of, I don't know what the percentage rate is. We don't really look at that. I know some people will track that, like how many applicants versus how many you actually yeah. interview. I mean, at that point, we're just kind of picking out of the ones that apply, the ones that are just, hey, this looks interesting enough, right? We don't get our right. hopes up too much, but we're like, okay, this is worth a screening call. It gives us an easy out. It gives them an easy out. And during that call, we also are oftentimes explaining our hiring process to them as well so they know what to expect. Right, right. Okay. So this is like, it's it's getting to know each other and like, you know, if it doesn't, if, if, we, if we don't want to go forward from this point, it's a really easy cutoff point for either side to kind of say, okay, I'm not really interested in this in this anymore. Right, right. And just, just cool. from a point of like a lot of people talk about how to treat applicants. And I know, mm -hmm. you, you know, a lot of the buzz out there obviously is just like, you know, people get upset when they don't get callbacks and things like that. And, you know, whether it's right or wrong, where we've drawn the line essentially is we don't respond to every applicant from the that applies to the job posting, um, where yep. they submit their resume and things like that. But we do, if we do have a call, we will always follow up whether they're a good fit or not. We like to close that loop now that you've actually invested a little bit more time. And arguably they've invested some time in filling out the form. But at that mm -hmm. point, um, we, haven't, we haven't gone that extra mile of you know, responding to everyone that has at least applied. So. I know some people right. like to do that, but, but you have to draw the line somewhere. Yeah. And you probably feel like you've, you've formed a bit of a relationship with this person, right? So having some closure is probably helpful for them. Cool. Yep. So after you've gone through this, this over zoom call, what's, what's next after? Typically there's a project of some sort. So that is like a take home type of thing where depending on the role, oftentimes if it's a, like a sales and and support or customer success role, we do have like a standard project, which may include like, let's say you replied Nate and you'd be like, hey, Nate, here's, you know, we're going to give you a project afterwards. And uh, usually includes like using our software. It, it may, if it's from a sales side, it might be like learning enough about the product and you set, set up a, a fake company to use a referral program. And then, you know, you can come back and present it. We might have some requirements. You have to set up A, B, and C just to kind of get invested in it. And can you explain it to us? Things like that. So the follow-up to the project of any of the projects is they would submit it and then we'd have a follow-up call where they get to 
kind of explain it and have a more just a, a conversation about it. And oftentimes that's where really you get to understand how much they're investing in. Do they really get yep. excited about our space? Are they excited about our product? What have they picked up in a rather fast time? How much time have they committed? How much they haven't? So you're kind yeah. of gauging all these different meters of, of interest and scope. Right. Interest and scope. And then I guess probably like what's really obvious to you maybe is like the, it's like, can they actually, can they do something? Can they contribute in some small way already without knowing a whole lot about our company? Right. Because like, like resumes and, you know, someone could have written their job posting, you know, descriptions and stuff for them. I don't think that really happens, but. But, or also they're, maybe they're a really nice person, but they aren't very good at doing the particular role that you're looking for. And this will give you a small indication of that. Yeah. And I would say probably about 20% or so will get through that next step, so to speak, in terms of like, once you've talked to them and you're interested enough, maybe only 20% were even asking if they will, you know, take the next step and do, do a project. And depending on the role we, we might depend, depending on the role and the scope of the project, cause like a developer might get a very different project. Obviously it usually involves code, but depending on how big the project is and the role, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll offer to, to pay them a flat, flat rate for it. So, and also the seniority, like, you know, I'm going to ask a more senior developer to do a more in-depth project, but it's not something they could do in like two hours because that's not even going to tell us enough. But it might be like, oh, code against this API and build a quick UI around ABC and it does all these things. But we know that's going to be like a 10 plus hour investment. And we'll just say, hey, we'll we'll pay you 500 bucks as a flat rate when you complete the project. Right. Yeah, that's. I think that's a, a great idea because I know a lot of companies will give you projects as part of the hiring process and just be like, "Yep, you have to do this like thirty-hour project." You know, good luck to you, and if you don't make it through, then you know, too bad. Yeah, and some uh, of them I might think... even do them in a different order, right? They might do it in that first phase where they may not even know if they like you or not. So we try to at least like, you know, invest enough that we're both investing a similar amount and committing yeah. in a similar way so no one feels like burned at the end on either front. Yeah, totally. And I think that's really fair because the, the point of this is to get to know each other, right? And I think that's really well thought out on your, your side there. So you do the project and you kind of see the results from that or they present their results and you're on that call. What kind of happens if you like what you see and you're ready to move? So, well, depending on the role, there might be some other smaller steps. Like I think the developer role, we might have a there might be a coding challenge, like a live coding challenge with yep. that is uh, before the project. Again, kind of on that, how much you're investing and how much time you're putting in. But after any candidate in any role is through the project phase, uh, there's that follow-up call that's a review of that. And sometimes we'll bring in an additional person. So imagine it was the hiring manager first and they might bring in let's say like another lead person on the team to kind of get another sense of that. And that that person would only come in and hear the review of the project, hear the, hear the new candidate kind of defend their project or explain and can give the opportunity for another person to get a, like a gut feel on the culture fit and some other things. Get a second, get a second opinion. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. makes sense. And then there's one more call. Like if you get through that (laughs) and everything seems to be like locked in and a good fit and all of these types of things, then oftentimes that's when I will come in and have a kind of final call with the person. It may be just me and I might have some of the information and kind of, you know, 
have the notes and have other things that I got briefed on by the other team members. And at this point, they're just, they like the person enough and they might either want a second opinion or they just need my sign off type of thing. And oftentimes I'm asking more of like culture fit questions. I'm often filling in the gaps of anything that we were like looking for that they might've been unsure on, which reminds me, we do have like, oftentimes we build like a scorecard of like part of those, the job rec and the posting. And then we also kind of have strengths and weaknesses and things we're specifically looking for, for every role. And then part of that is all the people that talk to the candidate beforehand kind of give their way in on the score. And some of them might be like, I think it's this, but I kind of have a question mark. So if you can dig more into ABC and try to find out and have a level of comfort with that trait or that skill set, that would be helpful. Right. And it's probably easy to, if you can quantify it a little bit, like in terms of numbers, then that probably helps with your decision a little bit too. If you've got like, you know, 10 people, then you can kind of help to narrow it down a bit. Yeah. By the time it gets there, we're usually down to like two people okay. and in, in the cycle we're we're rarely let, it really goes that far. Like I said, we'll chop it down pretty big by only having maybe about 20% usually get the project and get through those piece. So by the time we're committing to that, we're have a pretty high level of confidence. And then, hmm. yeah, so it's usually not too many by the time we're down to that like final interview stage. So I might only have for a, for a normal role where you might be looking for, I might only have like two or three of those. And obviously if one gets through and we're like, good, we might say if there's some another really strong candidate, we might like hold, be in a holding pattern and might want to get one more to, to, to kind of pick between, you know, yeah. candidates. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So then that's, is that kind of the end of it? Then you give an offer at that point or how does that? Yeah. So I think, I think part of my last call is like just getting all the ducks in a row. So I said, culture fit, filling in gaps between any other assessments or scoring that the team would like to know, question marks, things like that. I'm also kind of upselling them at that point, you know, telling a little bit more of our backstory about how we are as a company, how we treat employees, how we might have questions about potential benefits or just like, that's where it kind of can become more casual. Like, okay, this is the final interview. It's also just getting me an idea of, of the... I will also like ring back to them about their salary range and also ring back to them or expect like our, our budget for those things. So then at that point, everyone's heard the same things multiple times, I think, you know, through the stages. So there's, there's no, there shouldn't be any surprises there. So when I do come back with an offer later on, you know, following up and I'll be like, yeah, I'm, you know, we're going to, I'm going to discuss more with the team and, you know, you look, you'll look to hear from us, you know, within the next couple business days and I will let you know one way or another. And that's how we always kind of end those things. So more than likely they're getting an offer and at least I have a firm idea in my mind of what, where that meets. And if they're, that again, that no one gets surprised. Right. Right. Everyone's on the same page and you're, you're moving forward. Right. Cool. So like, that's, that's a pretty long process you got there. Like, (laughs) yeah, I guess so. Like, what do you, what do you think it costs you to get one person in a chair doing a job? Like costs us in time? Time or money. Well, we'll see that that's the funny part is the more, you know, as we view the more, the more time and preparation we're doing up front, you know, that the better chance they have for success because the bigger cost I feel like is not necessarily on all this time up front you're putting. It's painful to do because it's like 
you just usually when you want to hire, you just want someone in the chair and you want to get going, so to speak. So yeah, it, it's like dating and stuff. You got to be careful. You're not just like, oh yeah, come on in. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But I think the bigger risk of not doing that is like, once they're on the boat and in, in, in the house, so to speak, it's like the, the challenge of getting them onboarded and the time wasting. And then now you're involving multiple people on the company that the effect that can have on the other, other people on the team, if this person isn't working out, I mean, it's a big drag on everyone if it doesn't work out. So that's almost the scenario you almost have to pitch is like thinking about what it's going to cost you if you don't if get this, if you don't get this right, because it's, it's very, it's also more stressful to like be worried about, Hey, is Nate going to work out? Like, Hey, he hasn't, he hasn't checked his code in and he's, we've given him an, a relatively easy project to start with and it's not going well, or he keeps calling out sick and it's like, we want to give him the benefit of the doubt to start, but after three weeks and like, you're, you're like having trouble coming up with your first design that you know you're supposed to be a more senior person you know and you get it you we try, again we try to give them the benefit of the doubt and to have that person go and then eventually not work out that's probably like a two-month time after they've hired to give them a fair shake yeah and, and like yeah. i said you have to be aware of the effect on the team because if let's say you come in in a week and i'm like nate you're not cutting it you're, you're gone like my whole team now is also like oh man he just like slices fast could that could happen to me like it so you have yep. to think of all the residual effects of that so if you can front load as much as possible it's before they meet other people on the team until they're introduced to everyone payroll all these other obviously overhead types of things so right so it's not it's not only the overhead of having to go through the process and onboard and whatnot it's also the effect on your team and the morale and stuff like that that you're considering with this right because i would think it's it's almost that what is the, is it like an ounce of prevention or something? And it's worth a pound of cure. Yep. Right. So that it's, it's definitely that type of thing. Once you've realized that cure pain <laughs> and mm. how hard that is, you're like, let me front load as much of this as possible and really make sure we get it. So I'm not even thinking about the cost of that. That's just the cost of like trying to make sure that I'm not going to, we're not going to suffer and we'll still get it wrong. Right. There's things mm -hmm. we've had anomalies where we're like, I wouldn't have changed anything. And there's times where you're like, okay, you know what? Let's add a project to the process. Let's add this. Or, hey, we shirked on, you know what? Let's add, at least for this role, we're going to do a reference check because we don't always do that. But but that that's kind of how the process ended up getting being built a little longer, mostly because of the, like, you know, course correction we've learned from that cure side. Yeah, 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 totally. So maybe just uh, finally here, is there any any sort of mistakes that you've made or particular things that you would want to share with people about hiring that could help them avoid mistakes? I mean, number one, obviously, was that preparation, knowing your process and not kind of like going to the grocery store hungry type of metaphor, like where yeah. it, it, I think because if you have that need to hire someone, you're going to you might act irrationally or you might be like, want to skip the process, skip steps, do different things. We're not even create those. Like I've seen people not even have a job rec, you know, and it's just like, oh, I kind of know what I'm looking for. I need this type of developer. And, you know, if they took a little bit more time, like building a requirement, I'm sorry, sometimes that just has to be done. Like I said, until you get burned on the other side, 
even if you had a good hire that made it through that way and eh, that's how I always do it. It's like you might have gotten lucky and that's okay, but now we're we're trying to kind of not have it just be by luck. So that's definitely one. I think we've covered that at nauseum. The other one is especially early on, it's probably advice that's counterintuitive because you're often hiring for pain or sometimes you're hiring for weaknesses. Like I need someone to round me out like Hey, you're a developer. I need a marketer and I need to hire for that. Yeah. And I could yeah, say that, that be... that's, that's really dangerous actually, yeah. especially for an entrepreneur. I know we're talking to a lot of founders and early, early business people. I have learned to hire for strengths, like hire for the things you know how to do that you know how to onboard and train. Um, you actually could write the job description to very Granularly tell you exactly what the person is going to be doing because that's also going to be a person easier for you to manage, easier to know if they've gone off the rails. Like if I didn't have a dev background and I'm hiring an engineer, I, I'm sorry for all you people that have that role, but it's hard, right? Like how would you know if that person they're if they're not BSing you about oh I yeah. couldn't check this in because the repo was down and blah 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 and you're like no, you can't you can't <laughs> you can't BS if you know what you're doing right. Yeah, exactly. So that's it. Mostly all in the preparation and the and the hiring for strengths for multiple reasons. One, you can manage them. Two, you'll know what exactly you're looking at. And yeah, that's that's probably the the, the biggest ones for me. Great. Well, this this has been really helpful and uh, insightful for me uh, to learn about this stuff. Thanks for sharing with us. Yeah, yeah. We could definitely go more on onboarding. That's probably a whole nother topic on terms of like building onboarding out for different roles, but. Yeah. I think we're probably at a good amount of time, but it was a good topic. Thanks for bringing it up today. All right. We'll see you later. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share with a friend. We're new to this podcasting thing, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. Tweet us at Searching for SAS on Twitter. That's Searching, the number four, SAS or send an email to searchingforsass at gmail.com. See you next week.